All right, take your Bibles and open to Romans chapter 5. In our last time um, here in this chapter, uh, we spent our time looking at verses 6 through 8, where Paul used all three verses to deal with one topic, and that was the love of God. Coming off of verse 5, saying that the love of God had been poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, he moves forward to show us how substantial that love was. And he said this in verse 6. He said, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. And so after, after briefly just mentioning those words, the right time, which as we discussed then is the exact time in God's plan, he says we were still powerless. Now when you look at that word powerless in context, it's, uh, and then notice that following those words, it says Christ died for us, okay, it's clear that the word powerless is saying that we were incapable of saving ourselves. We're powerless, and therefore, Christ died for us. It's been stated very clearly, if you've been here through our study, just in the first few chapters, first four chapters here in Romans, that we were, no doubt, dreadful sinners and could not do anything to save ourselves, literally Nothing. Matter of fact, Paul discussed how not even the moral law of God could save us. Matter of fact, if anything, it made us worse. We look at the law of God and we recognize how sinful we are. And therefore, being totally lost in sin and completely helpless, the love of God was made clear when Paul said, Christ died for the ungodly. Okay. Now, just so you know, he could have just simply said, uh, Christ died for us, but to really and truly show us the depths of God's love, he purposefully says it was the ungodly that Christ died. And if you remember that word ungodly there, it m- literally means godless. You're godless. You are without fear. You are without any kind of reverence for God. Matter of fact, right here in verse 10, it says we were enemies of God. Can you imagine? We were an enemy of God. Right here in Romans chapter 8, verse 7, it says that we were hostile towards God. Now, folks, think about that. We wanted nothing to do with God. Our devotion was somewhere else. It was, it was in opposition of what is true and what is just and what is holy. I can't begin to tell you, folks, how unlovable we were or how the lost world is or how we were. We were so unlovable, yet, he says, what does he say? God displayed his love towards us anyway. And he sent Christ to die for us. He sent Christ to pay our penalty for sin. A bunch of ungodly sinners. Christ, if you will, volunteered and said, I'll I'll do it. A bunch of ungodly sinners. This is why, by the way, if you ever heard me read in um, uh, Isaiah chapter 53, uh, I tend to emphasize certain words, and I'll do it right now. 
it says, he took up our infirmities. And he carried our sorrows. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Are you, are you getting the point here? The punishment that brought us peace, you and me, it says was upon him. The punishment was upon him. By his wounds, we are healed. It's very important we see the emphasis when we read those things. It was completely substitutionary. It was Christ on our behalf. Now, to expand on this thought, to show the extraordinary, or maybe I should say the extraordinary love of God, he shows us how puny the love of man is. Look at verse 7. He said, Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. Notice the words there that Paul uses. He uses the words very rarely, and then he says, might possibly dare to die. In other words, it is few and far between that you might come across someone who was so kind, someone who was so humble as to sacrifice himself for someone else. I mentioned last week, you know, maybe once in a blue moon, somebody might run into a burning building to save a child or, or run across the street to grab a child out of the middle of the street and himself get hit while he saves the child, Right? But not just anyone, he says, they would save. Here, he says, Paul says, they might maybe save a righteous man or a good man, right? But even for someone of that stature, someone whom that you and I might say was a very selfless person, a very kind person, an outstanding human being. I've never met a better person. Paulus says, even for that kind of person, you would hardly ever find someone who was willing to give their life. For even that outstanding human being. Well, this is where the contrast comes in. Verse 8. I hope this helps you because a lot of us know verse 8, but we need to know that it's a contrast to verse 7. What does he say? He says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Starting in verse 8 there, he uses the word but. Now that really says it all, right? But even more so than that, he says, but God. You should underline those words. But God, because that's showing the contrast from verse 7. Here's man, but God, or if you will, on the other hand, God. That's what he's saying here. Verse 7, we see what man might do, and now we see what God did do. And folks, it wasn't just anyone who died. It was the promised Messiah. It was Jesus Christ. And it wasn't just anyone that he died for. They were sinners. Sinners. Almighty God, folks, lowering himself to suffer and die for sinners, or if you will, once again, he uses the word ungodly, the godless. Someone who actively practices the opposite 
of what the fear of God demands. He chose those people and said, I will give my life for them. To quote MacArthur, as I did last week, because he uses every term known to man here, he says, Christ died for us when we were undesirable, when we were worthless, helpless, and impotent, enemies, hostile, haters of God, haters of Christ, rejecters of truth, proud, self-willed. And the best that can be said about us is that our righteousness was like filthy rags. Our heart was desperately wicked, full of deceit. Folks, Christ died for the worst of sinners. And yes, even for some of those who it says, I hope they rot in hell. But that's the love of God. It's it's amazing. It goes beyond us because sometimes we would literally think, I hope that person rots in hell for what they did. Well, if that's true, they're going to be just a few doors down from you and me if that was the case because we deserve that too. Now, as we move on from there this morning, in verses, and we're going to go into verses 9 through 11 and basically just kind of finishing up this section here, Paul is going to give reasons to rejoice Okay? Certainly we can rejoice right now. And certainly even just looking at that, the love of God toward you and me, even as sinners, but also as believers, but we can certainly rejoice in that. But also here, knowing our place in the future. Okay? So read with me, if you will, verses 9 through 11. He says, Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more? shall we be saved from God's wrath through him. For if when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, there's those words again, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have received reconciliation. Now, as we go back and we begin here in verse 9, we're going to see, if you remember anyway, there's a really a clear connection with verse 1, chapter 5, verse 1. Let me read verse 9 again, and then I'll read verse 1. In verse 9, he says once again, Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? Going back to verse 1 here in chapter 5. It begins the exact same way. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, both of those verses mention us being justified. And the word justified basically means that we have been declared righteous by God based on the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, we talked about that. That's that substitution. What Jesus did was for us. He took our sins. He gave us his righteousness. Okay, imputation. We were imputed with righteousness. Okay. Now, verse 1 says that we have been justified by faith. Okay. 
Actually, let me rephrase that. We've been justified, he says, through faith. Through faith. Now, bear in mind, this isn't just a, sta- a statement of fact, right? We are justified, saved through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Not only is it saying that, but keep in mind, it's also saying what we're not justified with. We're not justified by works. We're saved by faith alone, not by works. It's saying both of these, because if you remember there, uh, uh, in, that, in that section, Paul had just got through talking about Abraham. And as you know, the Jews uh, thought highly of Abraham, but they also thought Abraham was justified by works. They believed that. And so Paul's like, wait a second, Paul's a Jew, right? Wait a second. And so he uses the Jews' scripture, the Old Testament. He says, what does Genesis 15, 6 say? He says, Abraham believed God. That's his faith. He believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. See, it's important that, he, that we know that. So he's saying, when he says we're saved through faith, he's, he's also saying yes, but as a reminder, that also means we're not saved through any works of ourselves, not even Abraham, right? You can go all the way back to the very first book of the Bible, and we were saved by faith, always, okay? So here in verse 9, is not just through faith. Then he says, but it is by, notice verse 9, it is by his blood. He says we are justified by the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, you might remember in Hebrews chapter 9, verses 22, without the shedding of blood, you know what it says, don't you? There is no remission of sins, right? He makes it pretty clear there. But one thing I want to share here this morning is generally speaking, as I mentioned this back in chapter 3, okay, the blood of Christ is an expression that is used in reference to the sacrificial character of Christ's death, okay? Let me say that again. The blood of Christ is an expression that is used in reference to the sacrificial character of the death of Jesus Christ, Were we actually justified by his blood, what actually flowed from his body? The answer is no, we were not. We were justified by what he did that caused that blood to flow, if you will. For example, on the final Passover, before Christ went to the cross, right? Many of us know that in the Gospels, typically called the Last Supper, right? Many of you know that. Jesus was about to go to the cross and die, right? He talked about there, he said, this is a new covenant. Remember this? We do this when we're taking communion together, right? Jesus took the cup. This is a new covenant in my what? Blood is what he says. Blood was a euphemism for death. Christ was just about to die. He wasn't going to go off and bleed. He was going to go off and die, you see. Listen to what Peter says. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19. He says, For you know that it is not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from this empty way of life that's been handed down to you. No, he says, you were redeemed 
by the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Now, we all know when you go back to the Old Testament, they would do what? They would sacrifice the lambs, right? Christ was, uh, the, the, Christ was what they were looking forward to eventually. Those lambs never forgave them of their sins, but they sacrificed a whole lot of them, didn't they? But, but remember, they sacrificed those lambs. They killed those lambs. They slaughtered those lambs. They didn't just take a little blood out of the lamb. They didn't poke it to make it bleed. They killed the lamb. Peter describes Jesus as the, the ultimate sacrificial lamb. Remember what John the Baptist said when he saw Jesus walking? He says, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So Peter described Christ as that ultimate sacrificial lamb who was offered in our place for our sins. And listen, folks, as precious as the blood of Jesus was, his physical blood could not save us. Only when it was poured out in death could the penalty of sin be paid. And many of you know this. Think about it just for a second. For the wages of sin is what? The wages of sin isn't blood, is it? No, it's not. The wages of sin is death. It's death. The blood of Jesus Christ is not, is not pointing towards or putting emphasis on the fluid in his body. And I say these, these things this morning, folks, because there are those people who believe this. There's this you know, <laughs> argument going back for centuries. The blood of Jesus right now is still in heaven. It's in a bowl. Really? Really? Show me the scripture and I'll, we'll talk about it. But I, that's why I'm putting the emphasis on this um, this morning. But the blood of Jesus Christ was not talking about the fluid in his body. It's talking about the entirety of his atoning sacrificial, hence the word sacrifice, his sacrificial death. Okay? It's the fact that Christ's blood was shed in his death. If I'm wrong on that, then I would simply ask the question, why didn't Jesus just cut himself? If, if it's just literally some, something of blood, he could have just cut himself and it's over, it's done. Phew, that would save a whole lot of torture, the cross. But it didn't happen. If you were here when I taught through the Gospel of Mark, you might remember um, prior, to, right, right before his going to the cross, it talks about the horrific time that Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, it, it, was, it was very informing to me when I studied that, how horrible that was in the Garden of Gethsemane. It was pointed out by one commentator, apart from the cross, there was no greater agony has ever been experienced by any human being living in this world in human form. No, uh, no man has ever suffered this way. He hadn't even gone to the cross yet. But while they were in Gethsemane, you might remember this. He said, Father, take this cup from me, or this cup of wrath, but not what I will, but what you will. Right? You remember that? Jesus was saying, Lord, if there is any other way that sin could be dealt with outside of my what? Death. My death. 
See? It's the death of Christ. This is why verse 9 here, going back to verse 9, this is why it says it is important words. I, I, I mentioned this a few weeks ago. Through him. Right? Do you get that? Through him, it says in verse 9. Back in verse 1, he says, we have peace with God through him. Verse 2, we have access to this grace through him. We're getting the point, I, I'm sure. Matter of fact, lastly, right here in verse 9, through him we shall be saved from God's wrath. That's the focal point, but don't forget through him. As we mentioned earlier this morning in our Bible study with Louise, I want to hear the name of Jesus Christ. Okay, when people talk about their testimony, they talk about their new book, whatever. Uh, don't get me wrong when I say this. I don't want to hear just God, 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 God. I want to hear the person of Jesus Christ. We're saved from God's wrath through him. Back in verse 1, because we have been justified through faith, he says we have peace with God. You might remember our study there, right? Remember I talked about how that is a present possession for Christians? We, we currently have, right now, peace with God. Right now. Because of Christ. Now listen, because we have, as a present possession, peace with God, that means in the future, verse 9, we shall be saved from God's wrath. Okay? We have peace with God. Because of Christ. We used to be enemies, right? We talked about that. We used to be at war with God. All the things I talked about earlier. But now we're at peace. And because of that, he tells us we will be saved from God's wrath. If God loved us while we were powerless, while we were ungodly, as it said in the previous verse, enough to send Christ to die for his enemies, if he loved us enough then... To use Paul's words here, how much more does he love his children and will protect us until the end? God's wrath is not for us. Praise God. We deserve it. But it's not for us. But if he loved us so much that he was willing to die for us as ungodly sinners, evil, stood opposed to him, depraved people, how much does he love his children to save us and to protect us to not go through that? Folks, God's love is not all of a sudden going to forsake us. Paul says, notice what he says, we shall be saved from God's wrath. That's future, right? We shall be saved from God's wrath. Okay? Okay? Jesus said in John chapter 5, the Gospel of John chapter 5, verse 24, this is clear. I tell you the truth, Jesus says, whoever hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life. Not might have, not could have. Listen, he has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. 
Those are important words, folks. Those are things we should hang on. <laughs> Those are encouraging words to us. We have eternal life. We will not be condemned. Now, there was a time in the past where Ephesians chapter 2, verse 3 tells us we were, by nature, we were objects of God's wrath. God's wrath was, if you will, coming for us. We were objects of God's wrath at one time. Ephesians 2, 3. But, but not anymore. But not anymore. 1 Thessalonians 1.10 For we now wait for his Son from heaven, whom he has raised from the dead, Jesus, listen, who rescues us from the coming wrath. Makes it clear. Folks, we have this hope. Okay? Listen to me, folks. If, if, if you are someone who believes that you can be saved one day and then not saved the next, what many people call losing your salvation, that means by default you believe in half the truth. You do believe that you're saved by grace, but that also means you're kept by works. See? But that also means for you and me, who believe otherwise, we believe we are saved by grace, but we believe we are also kept by grace. Okay? If you don't believe that, you don't, you don't have a promise. If you think you're saved by grace and kept by works, you don't have a promise to, to really hold on to. You just hope you're going to make it. But we understand, we believe we're saved by grace, we're kept by grace, we know that our future is decided because of the blood of Christ. It didn't just save us from the past, but it keeps on saving us. And as he says here, it saves us from the wrath to come. Now moving forward into verse 10, please understand, it, Paul is pretty much going to say, the same thing. If you ever made a statement before, most of us have, where we, we make a statement and then we say, in other words, and then we just kind of rephrase it, that's pretty much what Paul is going to do here. But I'm going to go through the verse anyway because that's how we roll. Verse 10, for if when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, Here's those words. How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Now listen, if you have the word if, if, you're, if your translation starts with the word if, cross it out. Take a little ink and put right through it, and you should use the word since. Okay? Same word in the Greek language, but here it is assumed to be true. In this context, it is assumed to be true. We know he's talking to the church. Okay? So because it's assumed to be true, it's since, not if. It's not a hypothetical. It should say since, okay? because he's talking to the church. So since, okay, when we were God's enemies. So Paul is backing up here a little bit, right? He's talking about before Christ. He says, back in the day, sometimes we use the word B.C., right? Before Christ. We were God's enemies, he says. Now this, by the way, just so you understand, this means that those today 
who do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ today, who have never been born again, who have never repented of their sins, turned to him in faith and trusted him, okay, they are right now, just like we were, enemies of God. Okay? We, at one time, like many people still are, to use the words of Philippians 3.18, were enemies of the cross of Christ. Paul told the church in Colossae, before they were saved, they were alienated. They were hostile in their minds towards God. They were engaged in evil deeds. This is who we were before Christ. This is who people are today without Christ. They are separate from Christ. They are without God in this world. Now, folks, those aren't just some harsh words. They are reality. Jesus said in Matthew 12, verse 30, he who is not with me is what, everybody? Against me. You ever just think about that just for a second? He who is not with me by default is against me. There is no middle ground there, right? There's no I'm almost saved. I'm kind of saved. It's like being kind of pregnant. There is no kind of saved. Scripture teaches us very clearly in the Word of God, there are two kinds of children. There's only two. You are either a child of God, or believe it or not, what did Jesus use? You are a child of what? The devil. Those aren't my words, by the way. I just quoted what the Bible says. You're either a child of God or you're a child of the devil. We spoke of that this morning in Bible study once again. Well, you know, everybody's a child of God. No, they're not. <laughs> Baloney. Big theological word for you there. Once again, there is no middle ground. You are a child of God. You're a child of the devil. You're with me or you're against me. Now, some people are going to say, well, just because I'm not a Jesus fanatic doesn't mean I'm for the devil. That's ridiculous, Darren. Well, Scripture says otherwise. Remember I spoke on earlier? We stand on the Word of God. It's the authority, not me, not any pastor, not any church, not any constitution of a church. The Word of God. God sets the standard. No one else So we were, past tense, an enemy of God. We stood opposed to him, right? Past tense, we stood opposed to him. And then came a time, he says here, Paul says, when we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. There came that time. We went from an enemy to becoming reconciled with Almighty God. That's an important word we should at least mention there, the word reconciled, right? In case you didn't notice, that, that word is used three times in verses 10 and 11. Reconciled, reconciled, reconciliation. Now, when we think of that word reconciled, you might think of the word uh, resolved, something got settled, right? You think of something like that? Folks, reconciliation is the removal of, of any animosity. It is the removal of any hostility, even hatred that is between two people. Maybe I should say that's dividing two people. It's the removal of that. 
And here, those two people are sinners and Almighty God. That hostility is gone. The hatred is gone, right? The separation, the division is gone. Because of reconciliation, there is now fellowship between God and that very same sinner. Okay? As I was just mentioning, folks, we were enemies. But to use a different word, we're now friends. We were enemies, but now we are friends. And to no surprise, Paul says that reconciliation is once again through the death of his son. Through Jesus. Everything is through Jesus. Jesus took care of that barrier that was between us. You know what that barrier is called? Sin. That's the barrier between us and God. You've heard me say before, there's one single thing that's stopping people from heaven. Sin. Sin. That's the barrier. Listen to me, folks. A few things that we've mentioned so far in Romans. It's the same thing with redemption. It's the same thing with propitiation. It's the same thing with forgiveness. And now he mentions the same thing here with reconciliation. It is all because of Christ. And so here's Paul's point. That being said, Christ taking care of everything that stood between us and God through his death. Look at the middle of verse 10. Now he says, how much more? Having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? In other words, talking about our future salvation. Where salvation simply means to be delivered from. Okay? Okay? talking about our future salvation. The Bible Knowledge Commentary does this the best. It, it mentions it very simply, but very easily. Since reconciliation was accomplished by Jesus' death, certainly his life is able to ensure the complete and final salvation of believers. You might remember Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25, very important word he uses here. He says, Christ is able to save completely, completely, those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for us. Christ every day is interceding, right? There's one mediator between man and God, the man Christ Jesus, right? He is interceding on behalf of us to the Father every day. And therefore, as you say, he is able to save completely. You might put it this way. I kind of briefly mentioned this earlier. Since he was willing to die for us as his enemies, he will certainly save us, future, who are now his friends. If he gave his life for us as his enemies, he will certainly save us in the future because we are now his friends. If he had the power and the will to die for us, he has the power and the will to keep us. That's important. Lastly, verse 11. Not only is this so, 
But we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. All this verse, I shouldn't say all this verse is saying, what this verse is saying is that it gives us everything we just talked about, all the stuff we just went through, all of that gives us reason to rejoice. That's basically what that verse is saying. It gives every one of us a reason to rejoice. I like how the New Living Translation phrases it. So we can now rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends with God. We can rejoice in that. Folks, we can rejoice in the fact that Christ is holy. We can rejoice in the fact that He is merciful. Oh boy, you better rejoice in that. We can rejoice in the fact that He is gracious. We can rejoice in the fact that He is loving. From the very beginning of our salvation, folks, all the way to the very end one day, it's about Him. It's all about Him. What does the old hymn say? Jesus paid it, what? All. (laughs) All to Him I owe. Sometimes it's important for us if we do put emphasis on those words because we just say, oh, the word all? Yeah, all. All is good. <laughs> all our sin, that's a good one. We, we like that. We don't want partiality when it comes to that. Jesus paid it all. And as I mentioned when we began chapter 5, Folks, the benefits of salvation, that's what we started with. The benefits of our salvation are not just future. He talked about how uh, we are blessed in so many ways right now. But, But boy, isn't it great to know that our relationship with him today will never cease. And it will only continue throughout all eternity because God is not going to stop saving us. See, theologians sometimes use the term, God in the past saved us from the penalty of sin in our salvation. He saved us from the penalty of sin. He currently is saving us from the power of sin, and he will one day save us from the presence of sin. But there's not, you know, I got one out of three. You get all three with Christ because he paid it all. It's a guaranteed future for those who are born again and know Christ. And that's a reason to rejoice. Let's pray. Father, thanks um, for your goodness to us. Lord, so many times I think of those who don't understand that. It's as if Jesus says, okay, I saved you. You're on your own. Good luck. That would be a sad day. Lord, I, I believe what your word tells us, that we are sinful depraved human beings. There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one good. Our mouths, our throats are open graves. We were your enemies. Lord, I firmly believe if it were possible that we could lose our salvation, we would because that is who we are. And because of that, Lord, you are gracious enough to save us and if you will, keep saving us. We thank you for that. We thank you for your goodness of working within us. We thank you for your Holy Spirit. We thank you, as I mentioned, your love. We thank you for your, your merciful, uh, your mercy, your grace, 
everything. And Lord, knowing that even though we're undeserving, we rejoice in you because knowing that one day, as you saved us earlier, you will keep on saving us and we do have a future. We will not have to suffer the wrath to come. There's enough reason to give you glory all day long. We thank you for it, as I mentioned earlier, through the name of Jesus. Amen.